Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this month's episode of the Wings on Air podcast. I am one of your hosts, National Vice President Aaron Dolan. And I am your Silver Wings National President, Michaela Masidi. So we're going to start off this month's episode like we do every other episode with our segment, Just Winging It. Um, Michaela, what question did we get today? Today, we have a question about Archon. So people are wondering what they should expect out of a successful Archon this year. Awesome. That's a great question, especially with Archon season fast approaching for all of us. Um, so a successful Archon and what to expect. Um, I don't know. I think I think it comes down to, you know, having making sure your business sessions are good. So making sure you're hearing from national staff, uh, getting their briefings, um, guest speakers. Uh, it's always always good to have a, a great guest speaker for your banquet. Um, I remember Michaela and I went to an Archon two years ago and uh, we got to sit at the table with the guest speaker and he was a, a really great guy and we got to hear from him and it made it that much better. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's all good points. I think from a planning perspective, you know, the region leadership and um, Archon commander put a lot into the region conclaves to make them you know, beneficial to the members that come to the, for the General Assembly. I think what they can expect, like you said, the guest speaker, um, hearing from national staffs, getting to meet other people in the region. I think the biggest thing that region conclaves can do is show our members, you know, that it's not just the local squabter of AAS and Silverwing. It's bigger than that. I... I think that was the biggest thing that I learned, like our first Archon, was that it's so much more than just our little chapter. And I think that's that's a really cool thing about region conclaves. Absolutely. And I would also add that, you know, each chapter and each region are all different, right? So what may look successful for one region may not look successful for the other. Uh, just I would encourage anyone planning an Archon to, to make it uniquely your own, right? And make sure it's it's fun. I think that's that's one of the big things, you know, because you sit through business sessions all day and you don't want to, you don't want your members to start to like, you know, glaze over and just not pay attention. So make it fun, make it as interactive as possible. That especially, uh, you know, stands for virtual archons, you know, you're going to be sitting there with your members on a computer screen and it may seem, you know, hard, but make it as interactive and as fun as possible, uh, you know, to try to get your members engaged, even though they're online. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. This year we have a good mix of, of virtual archons and in-person archons. And it's great to get back to in-person, but, you know, some regions, you know, due to restrictions had to host virtual. And I think those are still going to be really cool events. Um, you know, we've done it before and we can do it again. And I think, you know, all those things that you get with an in-person archon, professional development and personal development and engagement and leadership and all that stuff you can get with a virtual archon too. And I think that's something really cool that I'm looking forward to seeing this next month um, with our archons for sure. Absolutely. And going back to your earlier point about how archons show you that Silver Wings isn't just, you know, your local chapter. It's there on a bigger level. I would encourage anyone attending an in-person archon to not just stick to your chapter and your people that you know. 
go and talk to people from other chapters, go talk to the people from national staff, go talk to, you know, your your AAS uh, squadron and other AAS squadrons in the region, get to know people, you know, it, Silver Wings, Michaela and I say this all the time, it's one big family, right? So get out there, meet new people, make some new friends across the nation, because I think that's one of the largest advantages that Silver Wings has is all the cool people you get to meet, you know, from here to Hawaii to Virginia to Florida to Arizona to Colorado, you know. Um, so just get out there, put yourself out there and, and make, you know, make yourself make friends because that's what, that's a huge part of this, this organization. Absolutely agreed. I think that's something I wish we did more our first Archon when we were first, we weren't even members yet, we were candidates. I think we stuck a lot to the people we knew, which was really great for us because we didn't know them that well at that point. But I think that's what I liked about, you know, the other Archons we've been to together is that we kind of branched out and did meet those other people. So I definitely, you know, second that, meet new people um, so that you have those connections. And then when you see them at NatCon in April, you can remember, you know, the good times you had at the region conclaves. Absolutely. Um, as far as like business sessions go for like what to expect um, and the joint business sessions, obviously you have the required presentations from uh, AAS and Silver Wings national staffs, which, um, you know, we will give everyone ahead of time and uh, our national staff representatives, whoever's there will give it. Um, but as far as the Silver Wings business sessions, you have to accept new bids for new region headquarters, which is super exciting. Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what the regions have in store for their separate Silver Wings business sessions. It's always something different, like you said, um, which makes Archons unique and fun. Absolutely, absolutely. I remember when I played an Archon as an RP, um, you know, there's only like one or two required business sessions in the swim for silver or one or two required presentations for silver wings business sessions in the swim. And so, you know, the rest of it was like, I looked at my region. And I was like, what do we need more of? You know, do we do we need to focus on recruiting? Do we need to focus on professional development? Like, what do we need more of in my region? And then I did my presentations based on that. Um, so I would encourage everyone to just look at your region, see what they need, what is going to benefit your region the best in a business session and, and go with it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Alrighty. Well, I think, I think that's all we, we have. And, uh, we hope that you guys have fun at Archons. They start, uh, next month in November. So that's super exciting. And, uh, I, we encourage all of you to go to your region conclave if you're able to, because I mean, there's just no better way to see silver wings on a bigger scale than attending Archon and Natcon. Absolutely. And we're excited to meet you. Our staff is excited to, to interact with our members and meet new people as well. So definitely um, come and meet us and have a good time at your region conclaves. Absolutely. And with that, I think this concludes uh, just winging it for this month's episode. So now let's move into our guest speaker. With us today, we have Ms. Kirkland Yates. Um, so hi, Kirkland. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Um, so do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, why you're here today? Yes, actually, I am a clinical psychology major, and I was really involved in Silver Wings when I was um, in undergrad, just doing a bunch of things with them. It really, it really just took off. Silver Wings was my passion for a long time. So being able to come back and even just talk to you guys means the world to me. Absolutely. Um, so 
as you said, you're, you're studying clinical psychology, which is awesome and why we thought to bring you in um, to this podcast, because uh, as you may know, uh, our national JMP this year is uh, suicide awareness. Um, and so we thought that bringing you in and talking to you a little bit about mental health awareness and suicide awareness uh, specifically would, would be great for our listeners. Um, so you said you were in Silver Wings. Do you want to provide us with a little bit of your Silver Wings background? You know, any positions you held, uh, what chapter you were a part of, any of that? Yes, I was actually part of the University of Kentucky's chapter, General Jack I. Gregory chapter, and I started in the fall of 2019, my freshman year of college. Um, about probably October of 2020, I became my chapter PA because um, two of my buddies decided to throw me under the bus and just say that I <laughs> I did social media stuff and I was good at it. And so I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll give it my best shot. So I did that for about a month before um, one of those same buddies actually approached me and said, hey, uh, would you like to come on national staff and do this? And I was like, oh, what did I do? So, <laughs> so um, I was the assistant national public affairs officer for several months until about April when I became the national public affairs officer. And it was just such an honor to be able to wear my gold wings for NatCon and just all the fun things that come with that. It was such, such a privilege. I had an amazing team. Every, every single person, just any, any question I had, everybody was quick to get back and any, anything, everybody was really kind. Oh uh, yeah, I, uh, Michaela and I raved about all of this in our first episode, but being a part of higher headquarters, national staff especially, is something that we're super passionate about. So I'm glad to hear that your experience was just over the top amazing, because um, that's how we both feel too. <laughs> um, so, why, why is mental health awareness important to you? Well, um, I, I get asked this question a lot since I try to do a lot of mental health advocacy and just talking to people. So I guess um, from what you see now, I kind of just have to bring you back to a picture. So just picture um, a little girl in the South where you don't really talk about, you know, your feelings and you're kind of just supposed to be happy and be the little Southern belle that they raise you to be and all. Um, but picture like an eight-year-old struggling with um, clinical depression and generalized anxiety disorder, not on medication with um, no, no real support system because even the pediatrician told her parents that she was crazy. So fast forward like 12 years and here I am. And so it just, um, I think that my passion was to stand up for children who were like me. Um, I've been able to see both ends of the spectrum. I found out when I was 17 that I had some health issues going on that actually caused anxiety and depression in my own physical body. So um, a few surgeries and those were repaired. And, you know, to a Christian, to me, that's like divine healing. And so I've kind of taken it as that. And I've been able to um, talk to different people and just really, I can see, I can see both sides of it. I can see what it's like to struggle through mental illnesses every day and I can see what it's like to not and there are not enough people who don't struggle to actually say something I mean they're going to have to be the voice because there are some people who are just struggling to get by day by day so if somebody doesn't do something then the world is going to stay this way that's an incredible way to put it and I'm so glad um that mental health awareness is so important to you. And we've worked a lot in Silver Wings on mental health and accessibility to people who need it and suicide awareness and prevention. Um, and as important as it is, 
you know, for us to talk about it amongst each other and have a support network. Why do you think it's so important to talk about in general and how do we, you know, how do we get out on social media or to our friends on campus um, or even in Silver Wings to us? Why is it so important for us to talk about as a larger group? I think it's just really important because whether we talk about it or not, there are one in five American adults that struggle with mental illness. And it's just, you know, because I think about it like um, I have really bad acid reflux. So I take a little pill every night before bed. Now, if I come and I tell you that I have acid reflux, you're not going to think any different about me. You're going to maybe tell me to watch what I eat at a restaurant or maybe you try to help me in that aspect and just say, hey, did you take your medicine today and all that. So that's not a problem. And I don't have a problem telling anybody that. But if I was coming to you and said I take an anxiety pill every day, suddenly that's so much harder to say to somebody. So I think once we kind of change the stigma of that and we're willing to talk about different things that maybe seem uncomfortable at the time, um, we, we can broaden our horizons and we can make it not so bad because this, is, this needs treatment just like any physical ailment needs treatment. Mental health is health. Mental health is your physical health. Mental health is your emotional health. I mean, if your mind is not functioning, then the rest of your body can't function. It's it's just like a broken leg, a broken, a broken bone. It's just, you know, that's what allows your whole body to function. So I think the more we don't talk about it and the more we try to keep those things taboo and keep those things hidden, we are actually silencing the people who are trying to scream out for help. Absolutely. I've never heard it put like that, like the pill. If you were to take it for anything else, it wouldn't, you know, we would talk about it and it wouldn't be it any issues, but that's such a good way to put it. Um, I guess in talking about that, we were kind of wondering for you and your background in psychology, is there anything, you know, any signs that people see when people are struggling or what does it look like for someone who's struggling with mental health, even though we know it might look different for everybody? That's one thing, I guess um, there's no, probably magic answer. There's no like band-aid solution that I can just slap on everything. Um, I think a lot of the myths that I try to debunk when I get asked these questions is um, think of Robin Williams. Um, Aladdin was my favorite movie growing up. He was the genie. He was um, in all these comedy movies. He spent his life making people laugh and yet he took his own life. So some of these signs we may never see in people. Some of these signs we don't know are coming. Um, a lot of the myths that we hear about um, suicide are just not true. That, that actually leads me into something else. Um, a lot of people believe that um, suicide is just kind of the way to end everything. The way that everything is going wrong, it will take the pain away. Um, but I can, I can assure you, I've met with parents, I've met with friends, I've met with a lot of people who have been personally victimized by a loved one committing suicide and they would much rather have an awkward conversation than an empty seat at the dinner table. They would much rather have to attend a really ugly, horrific doctor's appointment than have to, you know, sit across the Christmas tree without somebody. There are just so many things that we don't think about in the moment. Um, most suicide attempts, the decision is made 10 minutes before the actual attempt starts. Um, you know, a lot of times that's, that's never their plan for the day. Um, 
they don't ever just set out to do it. It's, it's always something that um, triggers that. Uh, many people are embarrassed to ask for help. And like I said, that's like, you know, I'm not embarrassed to tell you I have acid reflux and I take a pill, but would I be embarrassed to tell you that I don't feel like I can go on? I mean, why is, why is that so stigmatized if that's, you know, we, I don't have a problem telling you I'm sick. So why would I be upset to tell you that I'm struggling with my mental health? Um, I think we've kind of romanticized a lot about suicide. Um, I don't know if you heard of the show 13 Reasons Why. I was really curious and I went and watched that and it was just so crazy to me because um, this girl Hannah Baker, a teenager in school, she takes her own life and then suddenly everybody's trying to figure out why and um, the boy that assaulted her, he um, goes to jail. The girl who bullied her, um, she gets in legal trouble. Um, different people who targeted her, all of a sudden they have to suffer. That's not always the case. If, if you commit suicide, the people who led you to it are not always going to be punished because they might not always know. Whether you leave a note or tapes or whatever, it is not going to damage the people that have hurt you. They will probably go on with their lives and you'll rob the people that you actually love of the rest of their life with you. Um, so those are just some of the myths that come along with suicide that I think we really... Um, romanticize as a society, you know, I mean, and, and it's not even recently, you read about Romeo and Juliet, and it's such a great story. Well, I mean, look how it ends. You know, there's two families left without their kids, and it just, you know, it's, it's become so um, dramatic. People, people use it as a dramatic exit or whatever, but um, only 10% of people that ever attempt suicide will attempt it a second time. So um, not, not all suicide attempts are fatal. So those that do survive, all of a sudden there's a group rallying around them. All of a sudden there was a cry for help that nobody heard before that everybody wants to do. And a lot of times they are the ones that go on to become the mental health advocates and the ones that speak out against suicide because they can say, all I had to do was ask for help and this could have been so different for me. And they're living their life and they're happy and they're where they wanted in life all because they they asked for help, and I don't think it has to get to that point before we need to ask for help. No, absolutely. Um, you know, you talked a lot about ending the stigma, the stigmatism around it, and um, getting people to talk about it more, and, and encouraging those who need help to, you know, come out and say it, um, even if it does start an awkward conversation. So what it what it what do you see an organization like Silver Wings doing to help encourage those tough conversations to help uh, end the the stigma that's that surrounds suicide awareness and, and mental health awareness? I learned a lot of things in Silver Wings. I know Silver Wings people can really rally around to get the job done, and I know there are three real things that are just needed in the suicide prevention realm, community, whatever you want to call it, um, we need culturally relevant programs. So you're a college student, I'm a college student, chances are you could approach me better than a therapist could approach me. Chances are you could approach me better than a youth pastor, a school counselor, anybody could approach me. So, um, you know, a lot of the um, percentages of suicide, there's 33.4% are Native American or Alaska Native. 29.8% are Caucasian, 12.4% are African-American, 11.3% are Hispanic or Latinx, and 11.2% are Asian or Pacific Islander. Um, 
Native American, Alaska Native is the highest on that, which which was really shocking to me. I kind of had to go and dig a little bit deeper because, I, you know, we don't really hear a lot about what goes on in Indigenous communities, but there is such a lack of culturally relevant programs for suicide prevention. You know, we we take the time to talk about, well, if you're going through this or you're going through this, but we don't take the time to understand that colonization has affected their culture for the past hundred years. And so they already have that on top of any issues that they deal with with themselves. They're already brought into this culture of um, degrading and the loss of what they feel like is there. So it just, I don't think it's fair for us to kind of put a blanket statement over things and say we can help. But um, if you if you are in a place where you can talk to someone, if you're friends with someone, if you have a relationship with someone and you're you care about this person, then chances are you can make more of an impact than anybody else could. So as far as leaving the job to somebody else, I'm kind of blowing that out of the water right now. Um, we need contextually driven programs. We need to look more at the context of things. Um, there are a lot more women's mental health resources than men's, despite men's suicide rate being four times higher than women's. Um, I talked about like being raised in the South and there's a lot of stigma, um, you know, boys don't cry and you, you're tough. And I, I think that's what probably drives a lot of men to feel like they can't be open. They can't share their emotions. And so that gets the claustrophobic feeling of people feeling like there's no way out. Um, so if we had more programs that were driven context, like more men's programs open, maybe we would start to see a difference. Um, the third thing is a comprehensive approach. This can look like so many different things. I always, anytime I get a book of how to do something, I get, um, you know, suicide prevention for dummies or psychology for dummies, the DSM-5 for dummies. I, I have to do that. I have to have something easy to read, easy to understand. What a lot of psychologists are doing now that I didn't notice, um, child psychologists are actually using Winnie the Pooh that we all grew up with as a way to teach children because each of the characters represents a different mental illness in children. Piglet is um, for children with anxiety disorders. Tigger has ADHD, Rabbit has OCD, Eeyore has depression, Kanga has social anxiety, and Rue has autism. And that has been such a tool for children to see themselves represented on screen and see themselves interacting with other individuals and having a happy friendship, having a happy life. They all love their little life in the Hundred Acre Woods. So that's that has made breakthroughs for children. So something just comprehensive, like even a little show like Winnie the Pooh, just something that's easy to understand for people so that we can really just break it down. Because if, you know, if we're reading it and not comprehending it, or we're saying it, people are not comprehending it, we've really just wasted our breath. We have to make it hit home. We have to make it easy to apply. And we have to be willing to put ourselves out there to find those things. I know the Silver Wings community is just so good at meeting people, talking to people. That's what we grow is our professional development and our personal development. And what better ways than forming relationships with people and building others up in professional ways and even in friendships. I think we all can contribute to this, even in our own circle. Even if you have to just call somebody today and check in on them and say, hey, I was thinking of you. You know, that it doesn't cost us anything to make a phone call or send a text message. Yeah, I think you hit you know, all the nails on the heads with that one. The cultural contextual relevance, I know we've like looked at different tools we could use on national level um, and different things we could roll out different programs. And it's true, you know, as college students, we don't wanna, you know, 
interact with something that was made, you know, 30 years ago is not going to be relevant to us. Um, it might help a little, but it wouldn't help as much as something that, that we understand and that we relate to. Um, and I think too, I've heard that about Winnie the Pooh. And I think that's incredible that there is a thing that children can interact with. And even us as young adults, we remember watching that show and we can relate to it. And having, having a world, like you said, where, you know, different people of different abilities and different backgrounds and different, you know, they're all different types of animals, all interact with each other and get along and are happy and are friends is something I think that's really powerful, even though it's a, a children's show. Yes, it, I, um, I can still sit down and watch yeah. it with, with that perspective and be like, wow, this, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I've seen like other shows that try to do that. And they say, you know, they have interviews with the creators that say like, this is a world where love shines through, you know, it's clear that there's not a lot of um, like arguments among people of different, different backgrounds. And that's what we yes. want to create. And I love that type of stuff too, similar to what you're saying with Winnie the Pooh, you know, they all interact and get along well. And that's something that, you know, we strive to get to. So I think, I think all those points are really cool. Um, I think we also kind of wanted to hit on, we talked about those culturally relevant resources um, and what we can do as an organization. But I think we're also curious what you see people doing on, um, you know, in their everyday lives. What can our listeners do to help people around them in need? Um, that they might see, you know, their friends or their family members struggling with mental health? What can they do in their personal lives? I think it's so, um, it's so hard yet so easy. We, we make it so complicated, but it is so easy to find uh, mental health resources. I think, I think this generation is actually going to change a lot of the stigma around mental health because I don't think our children, our nieces, our nephews, all of that will be raised in the same type of environment that we were raised in. Um, I think we're a very um, technological generation. We like to look at social media. I think we can kind of relate to each other. I think that's why social media is such a big thing for people our age, because we're able to relate to others and see a bunch of different things. Um, I think sometimes we get confused because one in five Americans do have a mental health disorder. American adults have a mental health disorder. Um, you know, if one in five Americans had heart disease, we would have red hearts everywhere. We would all have, um, you know, the red shirts the, the day in February. It would all be so public everywhere all the time. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing something about that. Well, if this is what is affecting, you know, 20% of Americans, why are we not seeing more about mental health? Why is there um, such a need for psychologists? Right now, there are 2.6 psychologists that are licensed for every 1,000 individuals with a mental illness. I was very shocked when I learned that statistic. Um, you know, I think we, there are so, so many different ways to look at it. We look at different ways um, that we can overcome mental illness or that we can improve our mental health. Like when you hear names like Dolly Parton, Ernest Hemingway, Harrison Ford, Larry King, Pablo Picasso, Drew Barrymore, Marilyn Monroe, George Michael, you don't think clinical depression. All of these people have clinical depression. 
Um, when you hear Craig Ferguson, Billy Joel, Cole Porter, Carrie Fisher, Stephen King, Mel Gibson, Daniel Radcliffe, David Hasselhoff, or Lindsay Lohan, you don't think of alcoholism. Think of their work. Um, when I was actually studying for this, I did a little more looking and names like Elton John, Halle Berry, Drew Carey, Donna Summer, Elizabeth Taylor, Johnny Cash, Gary Coleman, Sammy Davis Jr., Diana Princess of Wales, Eminem, and Walt Disney all survived a suicide attempt. I was, I was absolutely shocked to read all of that because these are the people we look up to. And why are we not, why are we not telling those that struggle with mental disorders about these people, about what they went on to do, about how incredible they were? Um, Jimmy Stewart, um, he was the George Bailey, the father in It's a Wonderful Life. He was actually recovering from PTSD from being a fighter pilot in World War II while he filmed the movie. Um, his breakdown emotional scene in the living room of his house, um, actually when the camera's called cut, he actually had to go home. He was very ill that day. He just, that was his breakdown moment. And he saw, he saw working on this movie as a way to kind of ease that and to help him. And that actually helped him work through what he was going through. Um, the famous painting Starry Nights by Vincent Van Gogh um, that I have actually hanging up in my house. We all remember it. Um, <laughs> This was an east-facing window in a mental asylum that they put him in in 1899. This was his schizophrenic view of it. That's why it's so swirly. That's why we see the moon and the stars in different shapes. But this is such art. Classic American movies like that and paintings that we see in museums every day, these were directly impacted by those who suffered with mental illnesses. They used that to further their art, to further help other people. And I think when we quit treating it as a life sentence and more just a diagnosis, we'll start to see more change. These are, these are manageable disorders if, if we treat people like they're manageable. I think many people see this as such a life sentence and not a way out, and we don't recognize the beauty that comes with being different. Um, I have a lot of friends. My family is um, multiracial, multicultural. And I love it. I think that's what makes us unique. Um, there's not a lot of people that can hear um, Chinese on the phone in their house and just keep going on about their business. That was me in high school. I was like, don't mind my sister. She's, you know, talking to somebody doing something. But, you know, why don't, why don't we treat our differences in that sense as well? Just because we're struggling with something, you know, just because someone is struggling with something doesn't mean that we should demean them or think that they're not going to accomplish as much or you know, it's, it's harder for them, and it's, it shows the strength in these people when they actually come through and show what they can do through what they're suffering with. I think it's beautiful. I think, you know, we wouldn't have paintings like this. We wouldn't have emotional movies like this that have become such a cult classic. We, we need to normalize what these people go through. We don't need to make them aliens and stigmatize them. We need to show them that they actually do have a place in society and that it means so much for others to see their place in society. That, that list that you read just completely shocked me. Like I had no idea, Walt Disney was one of the names that stuck out to me. Like I had no idea how many like famous people, you know, people that we look up to, like you said, you know, struggle with this. And I think you're right that it, it needs to be highlighted and, you know, to show, you know, unalienate 
those who who feel like this and show them that you know the, the people you look up to they, they struggle with it too that that really shocked me that was yeah insane. absolutely <laughs> i think the the starry night painting i mean i would say the majority of people don't know that i mean i didn't know that um and something so beautiful came out of that that we're still looking at you know how many years later mm-hmm. and i think when you know famous people like you said that we look up to share those stories or even you know in the case of Jimmy Stewart we hear about it you know afterwards um I think that's really incredible too that you know we can look up to them and see that they also struggled um and that they came out of it and came out you know on top of the things that held them back just like you said um I read Elton John's autobiography last year and he talks about the suicide attempt and talks about, you know, how he grew after that. And I think in certain cases like that, you know, you know, we have years of, of beautiful music out of something so dark. And I think just like you said, you know, not alienating these people um, is such a powerful thing. And I think, you know, if we continue to do that as a society, like you said, you know, we're, we're brought together for social media and the, the age of technology, hopefully we can see us round a corner with with mental health and that stigma that surrounds it. I'm hoping that kind of brings more of an idea into perspective for people to realize what what would life look like without me? Um, what would life look like we had we lost Walt Disney? We wouldn't have the Mickey Mouse. We wouldn't have the Winnie the Pooh analogy. We wouldn't have um, so many things that have brought joy to so many children and adults around the world. Um, Diana, Princess of Wales. Um, she actually attempted suicide while she was pregnant with Prince William, her first child. So the lineage would have been different. The figures we see today would have been different. Um, Johnny Cash, you know, music would have been different. Elizabeth Taylor, the face of beauty would have been different. Um, It's just, it's so incredible to see that list because it makes others, it it makes them individuals and it makes others realize, you know, what, what would life life look like? If I wasn't here, would it really be that big of a deal to people? Could I really go on to accomplish such great things if I chose, you know, to to stay? I always think this time of year, especially like October, November, December, anybody that I counsel with, anybody I talk to, um, if you can't put it into perspective, there's probably somebody out there that knows what they want to get you for Christmas. Whether it's a family member or a friend, they saw something, they thought of you. Maybe they have it, maybe they don't. But there's somebody that's waiting to share a moment with you, a special moment with you, a holiday that we all can resonate with. There's somebody that, there is somebody that will miss you. You know, just, just to think about as, as painful as it is now, as, as much as people struggle, that there are people that care about you and there are people that would give anything. There are people that, you know, would, would give anything to take back the time that they had with loved ones who actually, um, succeeded in their attempt with with suicide. And it's just, it's incredible to see because parents who might've been strict all of a sudden are the ones who wanna talk to other kids. And people who were bullies, all of a sudden they grow up and they wanna make a difference and they wanna make sure their children are not bullies. And I think um, we shouldn't just grow out of hurt. We We should kind of, you know, grow from what already exists. There's already so much hurt in the world. We shouldn't have to create more hurt to grow from it. We shouldn't have to have tragedies happen to recognize the need that there is for suicide prevention. Absolutely. Um, so going back to like, I, I don't know, 
throw it way back to when we first asked the question, you, you touched a little bit on, you know, there, there are resources that are easily accessible to, uh, you know, people like us and our listeners and their day-to-day lives. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could touch on some of them, like what resources are available um, for our listeners to be able to access um, to help those who are struggling. Um, there's always a suicide prevention hotline that you can call that's open 24 hours a day anywhere in the U.S. Um, I might have you guys link that in the video as well. Um, there's There are so many different lines. There's a lot of international lines. Um, I was just made known that there is a 911 number that they are trying to come out with, but it's just for mental health. And I thought, wow, what an incredible way to live where we can access things to where if there's you know, if somebody's having a heart attack, you're not going to question if you need to call an ambulance. If somebody's having a stroke, you're not going to question it. You're just going to do it. If someone's considering suicide, we need to get to the point where we're not going to question it. We're going to call for help. We don't need to think if they'll be okay or sit there and wonder. We need to act now and, and think later. You know, um, I actually, I got my access to lethal means counseling from the Suicide Prevention Resource Center. I did that before I had a psychology degree. I did that. Um, and it only took me a few hours, really. I had to read through a few things, answer a few questions. It was really easy. It was just a one-day thing. I have my little certificate now. Um, it just kind of gives you an insight on into more like how to talk to people and how to respond when they give you graphic details or when they want to talk about something that's a little hard to talk about. It kind of helps you learn to ease your response and <clears throat> work on your facial um, facial reactions as well, because I know I'm a very, I'm a very visual person, I'm a very facial person. I, you know, if my eyes get big or my mouth drops, you know, suddenly the conversation changes. Um, I think um, we, like I said, as far as targeting the audience, um, I think our Silver Wings community can, can make a lot of difference. The um, main target age that suicide is affecting nowadays is between the ages of 15 and 24. I think most of our Silver Wings members are between those ages. I think a lot of them are. Um, it's the second leading cause of death between the ages of 15 and 24, which is absolutely crazy to me. Um, a, a lot of you, a lot of you've probably studied this in biology, but the prefrontal cortex, it's like our decision-making process. It's what allows us to make long-term decisions. It's, it's not fully formed until we're 25. This is what allows us to think about the repercussions of our actions allows us to think things out before we act, allows us to think before we speak. Um, that doesn't even come into play until we're 25. It's still growing, it's still developing. So what hurts me is to think that these people who thought that there was no way out, had they, had they actually understood the repercussions of their actions, I think that they were victims of their own mind. I think their mind played enough tricks on them until they believed it. It's just, it's, it's disheartening to see because a few years later, they might not have made that choice. A few months later, they might not have made that choice. A few weeks later, as their mind's developing, they might not have made that choice. And it's too late now to question that. It's too late to think about the what ifs because they're gone. You know, there's going to be families at the dinner table at Christmas without somebody. And, you know, family photos are going to be lopsided. Just different things like that that we don't think about when we think about suicide. We don't think about the effects that it has on the people that love and care about these people. I, I think you made a lot of great points and I, I wanna 
go back to you talking about your certificate and that you know one hour that you spent through the suicide prevention resource center um that kind of sounds a little similar to a national initiative that we're trying to push push which is qpr training um and so i was wondering you know your thoughts on qpr training if you think that's you know worth investing time into um if that's something we should push sort of thing as funny as it may sound i think I think anything along those lines is worth it. I think if you use one thing from the 100 things you learn in a training like that, then it's worth it. I think if you, you know, if you have a thought that makes you take an action, that was the whole point of them to make these. Um, I think if we, if we had more training resources out there and people more willing to do that, I know a lot of people, when I try to talk about things, they're like, well, I'm not a psychologist and, you know, I'm not a psychology major and this this doesn't apply to me, which, you know, I, I think it, it can apply to all of us. You know, um, I think any, there's a lot of trainings out there that are free of charge that, that really don't take that long. That really don't require you to be super smart about, you know, a lot of things. They're very self-explanatory. Um, there's, there's a lot of the Suicide Prevention Resource Center. There's a lot on in NIMH, the National Institute of Mental Health. Um, there you'll find a lot of statistics as far as the different disorders go and the different differentiations between those and percentages on those. Um, the NAMI, NAMI, is the National Alliance on Mental Illnesses. That's really where I find a lot of my things. Um, as far as my trainings go, like I said, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center has a few. Um, there's, there's a lot of simple ones to do. There's a lot of non-time-consuming ones to do, but I, I think that was, I think that was right. I think that was all I said. <laughs> okay, cool. So sorry about that again. No, <laughs> Sometimes my internet decides it doesn't like me. <laughs> I think when, when you're talking about that, my mind just goes back to like, how many of us have sat through an hour long CPR training to save somebody when they can't breathe? And like, we're not all doctors or, mm -hmm. you know, surgeons or biologists, but here you're saying, you know, why can't we all spend an hour doing training like this, like QPR training or suicide prevention or how to talk to somebody that's struggling with mental health. And I think you said it perfectly, you know, we're not all psychologists, but we all can do something to help. Yes, absolutely. I think um, as much as I want to complain about um, the media and its effects on things, you know, we watch, we watch our, um, you know, our NBC shows, our Chicago Fire and um, different things like that. And I think when it shows, um, sometimes occasionally it'll show somebody standing on the edge of a bridge or somebody wanting to jump off of a building and the people rushing them are not all firefighters. The people rushing them are not all paramedics. The people rushing them are not all psychiatrists or psychologists. They are just people that can be weight enough to hold on to them until help can arrive. Um, you know, we learned that's the point of CPR is to just keep them breathing until we can get them to an emergency room, until we can get them to professionals. That's really sometimes the take we have to have on suicide prevention is we know we're not the experts. We know we don't have to be the experts. We just have to keep them there until, until we can get them to the doctors, until we can get them to the emergency room if that if that analogy works for you if that you know we just have to do our part and just getting them getting them the help they need and encouraging them 
to do that. You know, you wouldn't quit. Like I said, you wouldn't question if somebody needed to go to the emergency room if they had a heart attack. Well, you know, if your friend is battling something like that, then there are, there are still places to call. There are still, and a lot of times um, 911 can, if you call 911, they will send people and they can take care of that later as far as who to call and what to do. Um, still in instances that are that um, time pressing and urgent and situations like that, um, 911 will still be the number to call for now. Um, I, I do think that will change in the next decade for sure, in the next few years maybe, um, as more mental health resources become available. But for now, 911 is still who you would call for immediate assistance on something like that. That absolutely, um, it, that leads us into the final question we kind of had written out for you. Do you have any advice for people who are struggling with mental illness or um, their mental health or thinking about suicide? I, I cannot speak for where you are and I cannot speak for what you've seen or what you've been through or maybe what you've done that you feel like you can't move past but I know what it's like to feel like um, the next day is a lifetime away and I know what it's like to feel like um, you may not make it to the next day um, different things worried about um, maybe where you are or who you are who you're with there's there's so many things that we don't realize could change so fast try to make it to the next day maybe maybe our job will change maybe our situation will change you know may, so many different things that I feel like when people consider taking their own lives they don't give the time to change and we 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 rush them in that sense we pile things on Americans are so prone to stress we pile we pile things on and we think we can take it and we try to take too much and we were never meant to take that much we were never meant to load ourselves down with such things I think people are so people who are already struggling to make it cannot make it under those conditions people who are already struggling to get out of bed you know can't always function like that I mean I've been one of those people who I couldn't even go to school and you know third grade was not hard you know I was good at math in third grade. I could read pretty well for third grade, but that didn't mean I could always get out of bed in the morning. You know, and I think once we start to look at it like that, you know, I have, I have to realize that, you know, eventually fourth grade came. Eventually summer came. Eventually fourth grade came. Eventually fifth grade came. Eventually I got to high school. Eventually I graduated. Eventually I got to college. You know, I think, I think if we can just beg people to hold on until they get the right help. I think as friends, as loved ones, um, if we can encourage someone, not, not to say to go on for me because you can't live for somebody else, but to encourage people to get the help that they need. I think if we saw more friends and loved ones rallying around people before a tragedy had to happen, we'd see a difference. If you see somebody going downhill, act now before you wish you had acted because wishful thinking is not going to get you anywhere when somebody's already gone. I think that was an absolutely perfect answer. Um, and that was all we had for you. Uh, I think this has been a great conversation. 
um, especially to get, get the ball rolling and get our listeners and our members out there thinking about, you know, how can we better have these conversations uh, without it being a quote unquote taboo subject? How can we start pushing people to get help that they need? Or how can, you know, I myself as well as get my friends to look into some of these resources, look into some of these trainings. Um, so I think this was all fantastic information for us to share with our listeners. So I thank you so much, Kirkland, for taking the time to talk to us and walk us through all of this. Yeah, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Absolute Kirkland. honor to be featured on here. <laughs> we absolutely love you and are so happy to have you back as our alumni. <laughs> thank you so much. I hope I, I hope I can represent you well. <laughs> <laughs>